Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a new deal for more Witcher games, Google picking up a studio, new Capcom trademarks, and we're going to look back at the year in gaming. There really wasn't too much news this year, so I thought it would be a good show for us to just look back at the year that was for video games 2019 but we're going to start off with some updates from last week microsoft has confirmed that the series x is a model version and next generation consoles will simply be called xbox now it's funny because this um news came out i think it was probably like an hour after i published last week's episode and within that episode i was talking about that I've had this theory since before the Xbox One launched that Microsoft would just start naming their Xboxes Xbox, sort of following along the lines of something like what iPhone has been doing uh, for the past few years, or more traditionally what we consider um, car manufacturers. So you had the Honda, but then you have the Civic, you have the Accord, all these different types of, there's a, a make and a model. And um, it's funny because an hour after I published last week's episode where I talked about this theory that I've had for a while, they actually did confirm that the next generation is just going to be called simply Xbox and then followed by uh, different versions or different models. And the reason why I've always thought that Microsoft would eventually do this is because I was seeing a trend where Microsoft, well, when I first thought about it back when uh, before the Xbox One was officially announced, It seemed like Microsoft really was focused on becoming the center of uh, kind of your entertainment console, uh, sort of like the one thing that's right next to your TV, that one device that you use alongside your television. Um, And I felt like that would mean that Microsoft would start branching into um, having a uh, TV service such as what, you know, uh, YouTube TV and Hulu and obviously eventually what PlayStation View did and then subsequently canceled. Uh, but obviously I wasn't right about those particular things. But um, the one trend that we've been seeing with Microsoft the last, uh, I would say probably the last three years is their intent to turn Xbox into a brand and not tie it to a particular device as they've been one to do in the past when we think about xbox in the past or the original xbox or even the xbox 360 we just thought about xbox we thought about the box that connects to your tv for you to play video games but now when we think of xbox we're thinking about the cloud we're thinking about services such as game pass um obviously we're thinking about their consoles but that's really what's uh what was microsoft's intent and it's obvious that that's what they're looking to do going forward with calling this simply the Xbox. Uh, Microsoft, represent, uh, Microsoft representative told Business Insider, quote, the name we're carrying forward to the next generation is simply Xbox. The name Xbox Series X allows room for additional consoles in the future. Um, so obviously Xbox Series X is basically their, you know, akin to what iPhone 11 Pro is. It's the the pro model and um this could mean that in the future um there would be a you know let's say seven years from now there would be another series x something that's more powerful than than the series x that we're going to see next year um but one that they're probably going to make the commitment of making everything that's come before backwards compatible so whatever games 
come out for this generation of Xbox Series X will be compatible with the the more powerful version that we might see within the next seven to eight years um, and be back, completely backwards compatible with controllers and everything like that. So I think it makes sense for what they're doing. I understand that some people think that it's a little bit confusing, but once again, you have to understand that um, Microsoft strategy is very different from what Nintendo did with the Wii and the Wii U and things like that. And they have a much more core audience. They're going to make sure that they do the right job in order to um, really sell it to the consumer that Xbox Series X is the most powerful one. And whatever this other one is going to be called, uh, Xbox Series S or whatever um, people might think it might be, um, will be the more budget entry. But you'll still be able to play the same exact games. They're going to make sure that they get that messaging across. And personally, for me, if I had to you know, put my money where my mouth is, I think come holiday 2020, we're only going to see the Xbox Series X. I don't see Microsoft launching... Um, two versions of the same console in the same date. Um, I can see them probably announcing a more budget-conscious entry to release at some point, maybe February or March of 2021. But I personally think it will be very confusing um, to put out two versions of the same console on the same exact day. Um, and I think it'll be great for their marketing to sort of really, really push like this is the fastest, most powerful console um, and really lean into that marketing line. And you really can't do that if you're kind of putting out two different consoles. I think your marketing then gets split. So I, I, I kind of don't see them doing two versions, you know, uh, launching day and dates. I don't think that would really make much sense. Uh, we also got an update on Game Awards viewership stats. Viewership was up 72% from last year. Now, a lot of this is due to um, the expansion of the Game Awards into um, different regions and parts of the world. And it was streamed on more platforms than ever before. Uh, over 45 million live streams. That almost doubled last year's 26.2 million streams. Um, just to put it into an awards context... The Oscars and Grammy Awards combined were almost 50 million views. So the fact that Game Awards got 45 million live streams is pretty good. But obviously, you know, um, a lot of that is due to, once again, the fact that it's um, available on so many different platforms. Um, and the, As the Oscars and Grammy Awards aren't uh, live streamed as much as what I can remember i don't think they were live streamed on any service i think it was just you kind of just needed channel um uh the other thing about it is that i guess there were some questions uh made to jeff Keeler about the possibility of the game awards being broadcast on a broadcast network and um i think jeff Keeley kind of didn't say no but he leaned towards we like the setup of live streams and i 100 agree with him for the type of medium that we have even if there were um, some sort of uh, broadcast rights, let's say, you know, ABC decides the 2020 Game Awards, they want to um, put it on, on their channel. Um, I think it would be a bad idea to just have it on ABC and not have it live streamed also. Hey, if they, get, if they could get a TV deal and still be able to live stream it, sort of the way that Overwatch was able to um, live stream the Overwatch Finals, you can watch it on Disney XD, ABC, or you are still able to watch it on Twitch. So if they're able to work out some sort of deal like that, I think that would be really, really good. 
Um, and I want to just go over um, some stats year by year because this is pretty amazing. So starting with the first Game Awards 2014, that only had 1.9 million viewers. 2015 was 2.3. That jumped to 3.8 million the year after that. 11.5 million. 2018 was 26.2 million. And now it almost doubled. Uh, 2019, 45.2 million. So really, really good to see the success of the Game Awards continue. I understand that. Yes, I've been very critical of the, the Game Awards um, stream, but that doesn't take away from the accomplishments um, and just the absolute achievement of being able to um, create a, an award show for our industry. Uh, now to on, on to our first news story of the day, which is CD Projekt signing a new deal with The Witcher author. Oh man, I'm definitely going to mess this up. Uh, Anders Edge Sapkowski who is the author of the Witcher books. The agreement satisfies and fully clarifies the needs and expectations of both parties past and present and sets out a framework for the future cooperation between the two sides. It grants CD Projekt new rights and confirms the company's title to the Witcher intellectual property in the form of video games, graphic novels, board games, and merchandise. Now, the relationship between the author of The Witcher and CD Projekt has been uh, actually has been a bit rough uh, in the last few years, as we heard a couple of more uh, details about the original agreement that they came down to. And the original author, uh, um, I'm going to call him Sapkowski, um, he kind of didn't believe in the success of video games. <laughs> he kind of looked at video games as just a trend. He And when CD Projekt came to him with a bag of money and said, hey, we would love to um, adopt the Witcher book into a video game, Sapkowski got no... Basically, the deal that he signed, um, he did not receive any recurring income or any profit from the video games. It was just a straight deal. So it was... I mean, we don't really know the details of it, but it was... Hey, we'll give you $10 million for uh, three games. And then that was it. He got no percentage of it. And obviously The Witcher 1 and 2 uh, were released. I think they were both released just on PC. I can't actually remember if they were released on console. I think they were released on console. I can't really remember. Uh, but obviously The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt was really the explosion of the trilogy. That was the one that really a lot of people um, are aware of. I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't even realize that there's witcher one and two even though obviously it's right in the name witcher three but everyone just knows it as the witcher three because that was where the game really really exploded and obviously it was not only just a critical but it was also a commercial success and we've seen it branch out into all these different consoles obviously uh the nintendo switch just got it this year it was just added to xbox game pass uh last week and when it comes to the profits of any of those uh, titles, the original author didn't see any profit from it. So um, he kind of expressed a um, a bit of anger, I guess, um, you know, a bit of buyer's remorse or seller's remorse, I guess if you want to put it, when it came to the deal that he originally struck. So it looks like they were able to restructure the deal. I don't, I couldn't find any um, details in terms of length, like. Does it cover only three titles? How many novels does it cover in terms of board games, in terms of merchandise? Maybe it's just something that's uh, a yearly deal, so they have access to the the uh, 
the uh, the rights for a decade or something like that. No one really knows the exact details of it. Um, but obviously this points to um, CD Projekt being able to release a, a sequel to The Witcher 3. And uh, obviously their focus is on next April, which is Cyberpunk 2077. But it, it's good to see that um, it's... I mean, it's it's a good bet to think that The Witcher is probably the next game that they're going to be working on. I think that's really interesting to see. Right now, The Witcher has never been more popular. Obviously, the uh, for those that didn't know, the the Netflix show just uh, released last week. I just started it. I think I'm only like three episodes in, uh, but so far I'm I'm really likely. I think Cavill has been it was was is really great in in. In the show, it really shows that um, when you have an actor that's just 100% committed to a role before the role is even created, you're probably going to get something great out of them. And um, the choreography has just been, been amazing. I've, I've personally been enjoying the show. I've only about um, three episodes in. Um, and then there were reports about um, a bunch of gamers returning to the Witcher video game, kind of reinvigorated because of the, the, the show being put on Netflix. Netflix already confirmed that a second season of the of the show has been lit, greenlit before the first season even came out. So the Witcher is now more popular than ever. So it's good that um, the person who created this uh, IP um, is able to, to get a little bit more out of the, the uh the fruits of his labor. Now, next story concerns Google Stadia. Google Stadia has confirmed they, they acquired a new studio. The studio is Typhoon Studios. The first game actually hasn't released yet. First game is called Journey to the Savage Planet. That's set to release, release on January 28th for a PlayStation 4, PC, and Xbox One. Um, that game was never slated to be released in Google Stadia. Uh, so a couple things. Number one, there's definitely no way that... Just because of acquisition, they're just going to cancel those versions. That game will still be coming to PlayStation 4, PC, and Xbox One. I think it's a safe bet that this game will eventually come to Stadia. I mean, who knows exactly when that will actually happen. Um, but it's it's a good bet, obviously, that will eventually happen. And then whatever game that they're uh, currently working on for their um, the follow-up to this game, Journey to the Savage Planet, will more than likely be a Google Stadia exclusive. And um, we've talked a, a lot about Stadia here on Camp Koji. Once again, I feel like Google is just kind of um, uh, fighting a losing battle at this point. I don't think that the studio acquisitions are going to work in the end, um, especially when you when you when your entire business model is it revolves around you know, uh, streaming, like that's your only, pretty much your only revenue model, you know, at some point, Google Stadia, um, will probably be able to be streamed on any phone. And once that happens, they'll probably open up the floodgates to being able to use any Bluetooth controller. So there go your accessory scales, excuse me, accessory sales, uh, when it comes to eliminating the, um, the use of the Stadia controllers. Maybe you can um, sell some more Chromecast Ultras, but uh, there is no hardware. Um, and when it comes to software, obviously you're 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 cutting into those profits with the developers and publishers. So when it comes to 
Google Stadia and realizing that your one revenue model is just purely software and it's it's this streaming service. And once again, if for those that forgot, in 2020 they're going to have a free model. So once you have that, once you start offering that free model for 1080p streaming, I mean, how many gamers are going to be willing to pay ten dollars more just to get 4K? Uh, or excuse me, ten dollars a month to get 4K? I just kind of don't see that happening. So there goes another revenue stream. <laughs> um, and the fact that Google's acquiring these studios in an effort to try to get people to come uh, to Stadia, this is exactly what's going to happen. Um, let's say Typhoon Studios creates an amazing game. First of all, Journey to the Savage Planet does look like a great game. So this does look like a solid uh, pickup in terms of a studio. There were rumors earlier this year that Microsoft was looking into purchasing Typhoon Studios. And it's possible that Google maybe outbid them. Who knows? Um, but let's say Typhoon Studios creates an amazing game. Um, and let's say it's a single-player game, just for argument's sake. Because if I'm not mistaken, Journey to the Savage Play Planet is single-player. Um, what will happen is this game gets created and someone will purchase the game you can't guarantee that they're going to keep using Stadia because the service, once again, at that point will be free. So at the end of the day, they can just buy this one game, play it, enjoy it, and then just move on with their day. There's no um, kind of commitment to Stadia needed in order to play this game. On the contrary, when you're talking about um, something like Microsoft, Sony, or Nintendo Switch, if either of those teams makes a game that you really want, you know, let's say like someone saw the trailer for Ghost of Tsushima and they said to themselves, wow, this game looks amazing. I need to play this game. And they're going to go out and buy a PlayStation 4. That's a $200 investment right there in order to play that $60 game. Um, because of that $200 commitment, you're more than likely going to be purchasing some other software and you're kind of going to insert yourself into that ecosystem. It's very different with Stadia since there's no hardware involved. So I think that this play sort of just doesn't, won't really work out in the way that Google Stadia is expecting it to work out for them. Um, because once again, when it comes to cloud gaming, we're, we're talking about uh, there's still um, rumors of Sony being able to create, um, working on something. Microsoft obviously has already been testing xCloud. There's talks of Amazon creating something. So there's just so many companies going into this space, you know, it's going to be hard for them to keep that uh, that bit of market share that they own right now once these other companies start releasing. So um, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's tough. I really think that Google is just um, sort of blowing money right now, and I, I just don't see Stadia being a success. Our next story has to do with Capcom. Capcom filing for a new trademarks. New trademark filings have been found in Japan for Dino Crisis, Power Stone, Vampire, which um, is the name of Darkstalkers in Japan, and Rockman, which is, of course, Mega Man here in the West. Um, and obviously, once these trademark filings come up, everyone starts thinking like, oh, man, this definitely means that new games are coming. That's not really what it means. Um, these... Names could have been trademarked, and they, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a game in development. But because of the success of uh, Resident Evil 2 um, and 
Resident Evil 3 Remake coming out next year. Capcom had already said, I, I don't think it was early this year, I think it was early 2018, Capcom had said that they were very, very interested in looking into their back catalog and um, figuring out what franchise and what games would make sense for this point in time. Out of this entire slate of trademark filings, there's no game um, that's more important to me personally than Darkstalkers. Darkstalkers um, could see an absolute success, can be become an absolute success in 2020 if it's something that they, they've been working on. Just because we're, we're kind of seeing fighting games go through, um, I felt this year, sort of a renaissance. There was a lot of focus on fighting games, even outside of the FCC. With the explosion of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Even something like Jump Force. Which didn't do really well. But had a lot of attention. Even Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. You know Tekken. Had like like a, a, a renewed interest this year. The release of Mortal Kombat 11. The continued success of Street Fighter 5. Right now we are going through a fighting game renaissance. Right now is a great great age and time. To get into fighting games. So I think Darkstalkers would do really really well. And something like Power Stones would do really well also. Um, just because when we think about fighting games, we're thinking about um, two fighters on a 2D plane. And really when we think about um, more than two people at a time, the one game that comes to mind is Super Smash Brothers. But I think Power Stone, there's, there's, uh, there's space for a fighting game like Power Stone um, to release and be successful. Not really... Uh, marketed as you know fgc hardcore combo heavy the way something like uh, you know street fighter tournament play type of game but just as a really fun lighthearted four-player uh, fighting game so i think power stone is something i would really do uh, really really well and of course mega man mega man 11 which released in 2018 was very successful that's just um a good character in a franchise to continue to branch out the one game from this slate that I personally wouldn't even think about is something like Dino Crisis. I remember when it came out for PlayStation and I tried it, I personally just didn't like it. I just didn't really like the concept of you know dinosaurs and things like that. It, to, to me, I always looked at it as like a bootleg Resident Evil when it came out. I was just like, whatever, I'd rather play Resident Evil. This is like... I, I dismissed it as like whatever as Resident Evil with with dinosaurs. That's why I act as corny, you know. It just really wasn't my style. And um, even though Resident Evil, we've seen like this renewed interest in Resident Evil. Resident Evil has like this storied history, and we're talking about so many entries into that franchise. Um, and Dino Crisis can't really carry that same weight. So I personally wouldn't see that as being something that would be super successful but capcom's kind of on a tear so i mean you you know you never know um personally i would actually love to see um capcom do something with lost planet i always thought lost planet was a very interesting ip and um they just it just seemed like they really couldn't get it right and i would love for that to be something to be revisited if anybody knew, knows me when it comes to a capcom game that i would love to see again my two choices are always Power Stone and Beautiful Joe. I think Beautiful Joe is a game that way too many people missed. And I think a game that this day and age would really, really work, even if it was a re-release. Like, Beautiful Joe is one of those games that screams Nintendo Switch exclusive. Like, that game would just fly. It would be an amazing uh, entry. Uh, as I said, that's 
there really wasn't much news last week, so we're just going to move into our uh, story of the week, which is 2019. I thought it would be a great time for us to look back at the year that was in gaming. And it's funny because as I was putting things together, everything together to um, prepare to talk about this, I really realized like, wow, we really did have a really good year in gaming in 2019. You know, the industry just keeps growing and growing and growing. In terms of sales and numbers, um, hardware and software were actually down um, this year over last year. But that's expected just because we're um, officially going into another uh, generation right now. This generation with PlayStation and Microsoft is starting to wind down. So seeing hardware sales begin to drop, uh, seeing software sales drop a little bit is absolutely expected. It's something that each company prepares for, each developer and each publisher um, begins to look at when they're they're preparing their projections for their fiscal years. So this is not something that's very, very surprising. But just as a medium, um, I think that the gaming industry, I feel like we had a big media explosion this year. And we all know that gaming has continued to grow. Gaming uh, revenue-wise is, is, is bigger than Hollywood, bigger than music. And but it's something where sometimes video games are still treated as like the black sheep, as um, you know, the lesser known medium. It's the medium that's for kids. Um, you know, it's it's the unsophisticated medium. You know, read a book, watch a Oscar nominated film. Why are you playing video games? Why are you rotting your brain? Why are you wasting your time? And I feel like with 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 this year, um we've been able to enter um, more than every year before. I feel like we've really been able to enter pop culture uh, this year more than anything. You know, with uh, the release of Detective Pikachu, for example, the explosion of something like Fortnite, um, uh, everything that's been going right when it comes to what each hardware manufacturer is doing, Nintendo Switch, with Google, one of the biggest companies in the world, um, entering the gaming space, I feel like this year um, we've we've just been like the main topic of entertainment throughout the entire year. So I thought it, 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 this would be a good episode for us to just look back and reflect at everything that happened this year. So number one, I want to talk about the big three: Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony. And I want to start talking about um, the number one um, console of the year which was the Nintendo Switch. Unequivocally, this was Nintendo's year. Now, in January, they actually started off on a little bit of a sour note, but it shows just how well they've been able to do throughout this year that most people, funny, most people completely forgot about the moment they announced it, and right now, most people probably aren't even thinking about it, which was the fact that we learned that Metro Prime 4 was restarting development with Retro Studios behind the wheel. That was announced in, I believe it was January, during their one of their directs. But right now, Switch is on pace to sell over 18 million consoles this year, with a lifetime total uh, projected to surpass 48 million by the end of the year. That's really not bad for a system that's under three years old. The company reported an operating profit of $871.18 million for the first six months of the fiscal year, which started in March. That is up 53.4% year over year. So Nintendo had an amazing, explosive 2019. And 
you know, it's it's amazing to see what this company has been able to do. Definitely throughout my years within this industry, whether it was when I was working for Nintendo or before Nintendo, I used to work for GameStop. I would constantly hear about this is the end of Nintendo. It really felt like every time Nintendo did something, it was the end of Nintendo. Whether it was the rough launch of the 3DS, whether it was their entrance into mobile gaming. A lot of people were like, oh, this this is the signal. This, this is signaling that Nintendo is going to leave the hardware industry and just start doing software. Um, uh, whether it was obviously the unequivocal failure of the Nintendo Wii U. Um, I feel like it's been tradition like almost every two years for a bunch of people to um, draw on paper a... Uh, a tombstone for Nintendo thinking that this is the end. And um, it really just shows how, number one, how resilient this company is, how smart their leadership is and how they've really been able to write the ship. Anytime that it seems like they're heading for rocks, it's almost like Nintendo never sweats. It's like they're, it's almost like they're never under pressure. Now, some of the things that they did this year, um the nintendo online started exploding with the introduction of the super nintendo games and um, the renewed interest in the nintendo games that were added um, onto it and of course success of something like tetris 99 which was included in the purchase of nintendo switch online they had uh huge releases nintendo switch Lite for 199.99 which was a great entry point for anyone trying to get into the nintendo switch family they had huge releases for the year um Still proving that they are king when it comes to first-party development. We had Link's Awakening. We had Pokemon Sword and Shield, Fire Emblem, Three Houses, uh, my Switch Game of the Year, Luigi's Mansion 3, uh, and then some great third-party offerings, Dragon Quest XI-S, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, Astral Chain, which was an amazing game. And then um, we did get some um, multi-platform titles finally making to the Switch. Uh, such as Overwatch, and the one game which I will 100% admit I was wrong, the one game that I thought would be impossible on the Switch, which was The Witcher 3. I still can't believe that that was real. When I first heard the rumor, I said, there's just absolutely no way that system can run it. So I, I was happily proven wrong when it comes to The Witcher 3, which has actually been selling pretty well for the Switch. Um, and of course, we had Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. This was a game that uh, I felt like everyone was talking about throughout the entire year. Um because it did something that not a lot of uh, fighting games can do, which was um, because of the DLC, it was able to create so like a feverish buzz around the game from people that weren't even playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate because of the anticipation of who else could be added, uh, because of the fact that uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate kind of just broke all the rules in terms of um, the possibilities of who could be added into this uh, franchise. Now, Sakurai did confirm that there's uh, he has no interest in ever adding adding a movie or a TV character into to the game, such as you know Goku or Iron Man. Some people are thinking about. Um, but in terms of a video game character, there just are no rules. So we saw the release of Joker uh, from Persona. We saw a Hero from Dragon Quest, Banjo Kazooie, and then Terry. Uh, which is the NSK property. So with the release of these um, four fighters throughout the year, and then obviously, as we spoke about last week, uh, the the fever of wanting Super Smash Brothers to be at the Game Awards, I'm sure that the next um, 
the the final DLC character of this um, uh, first pack of theirs um, will probably be released in you know the information will probably be released in in their first Nintendo Direct of the year, which usually happens I think January or February. Um, but yeah, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate just commanded a lot of the conversation this year, and I think it was a it's a good kind of focus point for nintendo as a company when it came to nintendo switch it's like it's almost like they were selling all this hardware throughout the year it felt like every single month they were outselling playstation and xbox which once again you know you do have to attribute to the fact that both of those uh, systems are, are beginning to wind down whereas nintendo is just pretty much is getting started um but it shows the power of um their first party offerings and of course, the power of their evergreen. I mean, Nintendo started off extremely strong with the launch of Legend of Zelda, followed by Super Mario Odyssey, and they've been just doing nothing but adding and adding and adding um, into that, um, going into a very what should be a very strong 2020 for them. But unequivocally, when it comes to the, the, the big three and hardware, Nintendo really, really did what they needed to do in order to dominate 2020 and really take advantage of the fact that Sony and Microsoft are beginning to wind down and both of those companies are starting to focus on what the next generation is. Now, uh, second place definitely goes to Sony. Um, they became the fastest home console to sell $100 million, second only to the PlayStation 2's $155 million sales, so becoming the second best-selling console in uh, history. It's uh, on pace to surpass 105 million units this year. Uh, another thing that Sony was able to accomplish this year was the introduction of the State of Play. As I said, um, when I talked about their last State of Play last week, I feel like they finally got comfortable with this format um, when it comes to delivering news directly to the consumer. Um, first party offerings, was, it wasn't as strong as last year. Last year was a bit tough. Uh, to beat with uh, Spider-Man and God of War, uh, but they did release Days Gone, which I feel like has gotten very good legs in terms of the game is constantly fluctuating with sales. Forty sometimes it is going down to twenty dollars, and the game itself didn't really release. It wasn't like a super successful release for PlayStation, but I feel like word of mouth has um, done good to carry that game. Um, and then Death Stranding obviously was their other big um, exclusive for the year. There are other small ones like Medieval and third-party offering like Judgment. Um, but Death Stranding was the game of the year. And not game of the year in terms of content, in terms of, hey, this was the best game you could play on a year. Obviously, that was my personal favorite game of the year. But I mean game of the year in terms of the game that we were talking about the most um, that to release in 2019. It's the one that had... The biggest anticipation behind it is the one that, that was the biggest mystery. It was the one that everybody was talking about. And a lot of that was manufactured by Kojima. The fact that we, you know, the, the game released in, you know, November. And it felt like in October was when we finally felt like a lot of people had a good grasp on what the game actually <clears throat> was. So a lot of that mystery was what led up. Um, to the buzz and a lot of the talk about Death Stranding and uh, Kojima's first uh, game after leaving Konami. Um, so as I said, um, and then, of course, Sony uh, beginning to set up uh, 
uh, for the PlayStation 5. Now, Sony should have a really good 2020. Their 2019 was strong, and I feel like it went exactly how they wanted it to go, which was um, they kept pushing PlayStation VR with releases such as Blood and Truth. Um, they kept pushing um, uh, the, the continued success of PlayStation 4 when it comes to promising big titles next year, such as Last of Us 2 and, um, and Ghost of Tsushima. So basically telling gamers like, look, yes, we have PlayStation 5 coming out, but look, during Black Friday when PlayStation 4 is going to be you know, 200 bucks, um, don't feel like you're being cheated out of purchasing the system. We have great games now, and we're going to have great games coming out next year. And that's something that, unfortunately, Microsoft was not really able to do. There's really not much of a good reason to buy an Xbox One right now. Uh, other in, in terms of games coming out for the future of, of Xbox One. So I think Sony did a great job um, with making consumers feel comfortable with buying a PlayStation 4 late in its cycle. And that's something that Sony has been really, really good at doing um, with their past generation systems. And I think um, Sony had a, a really solid 2019, and I think it's very it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting to see what they have for 2020 um, in terms of what they have to offer at launch for PlayStation 5, which is just something that they're not really talking about. And then last but not least was Microsoft with the Xbox. Now Microsoft is a little bit tough um, to to talk about their numbers because they don't really publicly release numbers anymore. Um, the projection is that in its lifetime, the Xbox One has um, sold over 45 million units, which is half of what Sony has been able to do with PlayStation 4. Um, in January, Microsoft reported that they had over 64 million active Xbox Live members. I remember that's just Xbox Live. That's not Xbox Live Gold. So it doesn't mean that all 64 million um, active members are paying members. The other thing that was huge for Xbox was uh, obviously Game Pass. Now, the one thing that, before I talk about Game Pass, I want to talk about with Microsoft is that at the end of last year, but more so the beginning and throughout this entire year, it was very obvious that Microsoft decided to fall back. And when I think about what Microsoft did with Xbox this year, in my mind, I always think about like a war film. and the general kind of screaming back at the troops, fall back, retreat. It's like realizing that we're about to lose this battle. We have to retreat. We have to regroup in order to, to, to win the war. And that's exactly what Microsoft had done with Xbox. It reminds me a little bit of what Nintendo did with Wii U, where at one point Nintendo said, freeze all development on video games for Nintendo Wii U. We're just going to have to eat this loss and we're going to have to prepare for the next battle. Um, which it did with Nintendo Switch, and we all see how uh, that turned out. So it looks like my Microsoft not only just fell back, but they focused on what they felt is going to be important for the next five to seven years. And it's something that I'm going to talk about in, in next week's show, next week's show where I focus on gaming in 2020, is that Microsoft this year really focused on, uh, they didn't focus on their hardware, um, they stopped caring about hardware numbers sold, and they realized that it's not about how much hardware we sell. It's about how, how many people are actively using this hardware, and 
converting those paying customers into Game Pass subscribers, into Xbox Live Gold, and bringing them fully into the Xbox ecosystem, whether they were playing on uh, an Xbox or whether they were playing on PC. And that's really where they put their focus. Now, Xbox Game Pass was obviously their biggest success of the year. In November of 2018, so not this year, but last year, Phil Spencer said that there were millions of gamers enjoying Xbox Game Pass. And the reason why I bring up that stat from 2018 is because we have absolutely no idea how many Game Pass subscribers there actually are. We've heard from some publishers that they've seen success with, X, with Xbox Game excuse me, Xbox Game Pass. We've heard from Phil Spencer that Xbox Game Pass has introduced a higher retention for the games that are on it, meaning that gamers are playing games for a lot longer than games that they purchased at retail. Um, they've been seeing an explosion of gamers being willing to um, try new experiences and play different games that they wouldn't have otherwise outside of Xbox Game Pass. And then this year was the introduction of Game Pass Ultimate, which was $14.99. You get Game Pass for PC, for Xbox, and you also get Xbox Live Gold um, for $15 a month. Now, Microsoft made a huge bet this year, which was a renewed interest of making sure that every published title was day and date available at Xbox Game Pass with um, Crackdown 3, which uh, obviously was a disappointment, but sort of turned into the perfect Game Pass game because I'm sure a lot of people would not have played it if it wasn't on something like Game Pass. Uh, the release of, of a huge title in Gears 5, which is the biggest Gears in history. Um, the release of The Outer Worlds, which was multi-platform, but it was available on Game Pass Day and Date. Blair Witch, which debuted um, about a month or two after its announcement at E3 in June, was day and day on Xbox Game Pass. And just this month, we saw the introduction of Halo Reach and the Master Chief Collection, um, and, and those are available on Xbox Game Pass. But on top of that, we also saw the introduction of a lot of big indie hits, um, such as uh, Felix the Reaper, Outer Wilds, Untitled Goose Game, After Party. These are games that debuted... Um, on Xbox Game Pass day and date. And then they also um, offered a lot of huge games that released in 2019, such as Rage 2, Metro Exodus, Devil May Cry 5, Bloodstained. These are games that are not Xbox exclusive, but they are available on Xbox Game Pass, even though they were released this just this year in 2019. So Microsoft, um, once again, they fell back they realize we're not winning this hardware race. Where can we focus? Where are where should we be seven years from now? And the pivot that Microsoft made was that we should be focused on software. And um, that's why they invested so much money and they lost a lot of money <laughs> when it comes to Xbox Game Pass. Let's, let's just be honest. They're probably not making much of a profit with Xbox Game Pass right now. <clears throat> when it comes to adding a game like Let's say a game like Devil May Cry 5, which was not only just critically acclaimed, it was loved by fans and gamers. Devil May Cry 5 was released this year. definitely reinvigorated that franchise. For them to add that to Xbox Game Pass, they basically have to come to a deal with Capcom that says, hey, we understand that when this comes to Game Pass, you're probably going to lose Xbox One retail sales. So they kind of have to make up for that loss. So... Um, to see them go out there and come to these partnerships with these third-party companies not only shows the 
trust that Microsoft has with these companies, but it also shows um, that they're really just going all in to this strategy of the Xbox Game Pass. So even though they had a rough year in terms of like numbers and sales and what we can calculate and see, they're winning in terms of their branding and their software. 2019 also saw a lot of great third-party games released. Obsidian, we saw them return to form with the release of The Outer Wilds. Excuse me, The Outer Worlds. Now, this is a company that's not the biggest company in the world. Obviously, they were recently acquired in 2018 by uh, Microsoft. So, their future titles will be Xbox exclusive. But when it came to the release of The Outer World, The Outer Worlds, and like this gaping hole that uh, Bethesda left when it came to the release of Fallout, this game was able to be a great, great success. We also saw the release, finally the release of Kingdom Hearts 3 after, what, 11 years. Another Shenmue 3 after over a decade uh, finally releasing this year. And I felt like this year, one, one um, kind of uh, common... Shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? Um common theme i guess is the word i'm looking for was action games we had a lot of great action games this year devil may cry 5 sekido shadows that twice control astral chain bloodstained code vein star wars jedi fallen order i feel like this year was a great year if you're into action games i feel like you know the year that preceded it was like this first person shooter explosion and i feel like this year there were a lot a lot of action games that were coming out um now i want to talk about some studios that had a great 2019. First of all, it was Respawn Entertainment with the release of Apex Legends early in the year. By the end of its first month, it reached 50 million players within its first month available. Apex Legends earned $92 million in revenue across all platforms. That was the highest amount earned by any free-to-play game during its launch month. Now, obviously, Apex Legends didn't have the best 2019, but just the fact that it was announced kind of hot, pretty much hot-dropped um uh, after shortly after its reveal it introduced um a lot of brand new things into the um into the battle royale genre that we've seen other games such as fortnite adapt um you know the 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 three team format the ping system the uh the respawn system these are things that we're seeing other companies look at and say wow that's actually a fresh take something new um, in the battle royale genre, we've seen it influence other other games. Um, as great as Apex Legends was, the one thing that it's shown is how hard it is to maintain the momentum of a free-to-play game. And obviously, they started off with an explosion. And even though Apex Legends is still doing well, it shows just how challenging it is to do what Fortnite has been able to do. And it shows like how much content you have to be consistently able to give in order to keep these free-to-play games going. Um, and then they ended the years with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, EA confirmed that it was the fastest-selling digital launch for any Star Wars game for this first two weeks on sale. And it was amazing to see for a few reasons. Number one, it was a single-player amazing game. Uh, no DLC, no microtransactions, no talk about any of that stuff. It reminded me a little bit of God of War, which is like, look, this is the game you're going to get. It's an amazing game. Go play it. Um, but it also renewed interest in the Star Wars license. Obviously, it releasing around the same time as the film that ended the Skywalker saga was a great time for them to release. But it was also a good time for EA because of the 
kind of the disaster that was Battlefront 2 and the whole issue with that. But it also introduced um, a lot of doubt in EA into whether they should even have their Star Wars license. So with Respawn taking that game, delivering what they were able to deliver, they were able to prove, like, look, EA, this this license is in great hands. And EA allowing Respawn um, the room to build this and the creative freedom to do what they did with Star Wars, it looks like it obviously paid off. Now, as great as Respawn did, for me, the studio of the year was, without a doubt, was Capcom. The operating income saw a healthy 33% spike over the same period last year, rising to $128 million. Resident Evil 2 sold over 5 million copies. As of September, Devil May Cry 5 sold $2.7 million. Monster Hunter Osborne uh, shipped over 3 million units since launching in September 2019, which is amazing. Monster Hunter World has surpassed 14 million units worldwide. And of course, we, we're still talking about Street Fighter V. It's now sold over 3.7 million copies, and it just seems that the popularity is rising and rising and rising. And if you remember correctly, Street Fighter V, when it released, it was just critically panned by competitors and uh, critics around the world. So for them to make that turnaround um, purely off of listening to fans, listening to feedback, introducing uh, a very strong, steady stream of DLC lineups, um, still introducing new characters, and then... um, re-releasing i believe it releases next february um shoot i'm trying to remember i think it's called the championship edition kind of edition that puts everything together um really shows that without a doubt 2019 belonged um to capcom and obviously we're talking about the re3 announcement that's coming out next year everything they did this year um hopefully they keep it going to have a very very strong 2020 uh now capcom was the best studio of the year the most disappointing studio of the year, hands down, has to go to Ubisoft. Uh, Division 2 did not meet sales expectations. Far Cry New Dawn was released in February, quickly forgotten about. Ghost Recon Breakpoint was released to critical reception from media and consumers. Ubisoft themselves said it was a commercial disappointment. Um, Watch Dogs Legions, Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine were all delayed to 2020. Skull and Bones, which was announced in E3 2019, for those, excuse me, 2018, for those that remember, they announced that it won't see store shelves until 2021. Ubisoft had a really, really rough year. And on top of that, they very, very quietly launched Uplay Plus. And I guarantee you, for anybody listening to this, I'm sure there are a lot of you that are listening to this and saying, wait a minute, Uplay Plus released this year? Yes, it did. Their, stream, <laughs> their subscription service, $15 a month, Uplay Plus did release this year few months ago actually um it released when ghost recon breakpoint came out and it just seemed like they put absolutely no marketing behind it they really weren't didn't didn't good didn't do a good job of spreading the word and it's weird because this is such a um a strong source of revenue for them so hopefully in 2020 they go a lot stronger with uplay plus and really kind of marrying uplay plus with their future releases whereas I don't see an advertisement for Watch Dogs Legions next year, Gods and Monsters next year, without hearing about Uplay Plus. So they have to be a lot more aggressive when it comes to that. So Ubisoft seems to be another studio that realized, like, look, we made a lot of mistakes. I, I really truly think that Ubisoft got ahead of themselves. I think they were feeling themselves too much. They had a really, really strong um, 2018 with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, but when it comes to 2020, 
Um, we might see another Assassin's Creed at the end of the year. We're gonna obviously they're gonna have a strong lineup with Watch Dogs Legion, Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine, um, and maybe things that we haven't heard about yet. So I'm sure they have a strong 2020, but for 2019, they were definitely the disappointing studio of the year. Another trend for 2019 were acquisitions. Epic Games bought Psionics, the maker of Rocket League. Facebook purchased uh, Beat Games, which is the maker of Beat Saber. Sony purchased Insomniac Games, which were the creators of the Amazing Spider-Man title in 2018. As we talked about earlier in the show, Google acquired Typhoon Studios. Microsoft acquired Double Fine to round out the Xbox Game Studio to a total number of 15. Um, This seems to be kind of the game that we're going to start playing um, going forward. Um, because I personally think that going forward, we're going to see a lot less third-party exclusives. There's just too much money to be made across services, streaming services that are coming out, digital services uh, beginning to grow and grow more. Um, the introduction of like flash sales with Steam and flash sales on Xbox and PlayStation. Um, more and more studios are going to be asking for a more, much more money in order to make a game exclusive. So I feel like third-party exclusives, we're going to start seeing that wind down. So in a response to that, now we're seeing a lot of these companies start acquiring studios, bringing them into the fold to make sure that you understand that this is the one place that you can go to get this game. Nintendo has had a philosophy for years. Nintendo has stuck to one single philosophy that has made them successful, and that is software sales hardware and microsoft and sony for years have run under the um, perception that hardware sells software um, which is just not true (laughs) once again um, nintendo has stuck to this that's why they've been so successful that's why we see so many polished first party offerings from nintendo's because they stuck to this vision um, for decades and now we're seeing these other companies kind of understand that, yes, this is what we need to do. Um, another trend in 2019 uh, was indie game. I, I feel like we had a, a big explosion of indie studios and indie games really reaching kind of critical mass in terms of what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about games like Baba is You, Void Bastards, A Plague's Tale, uh, Disco Elysium uh, sweeping the game awards, um, four awards for them. Uh, Outer Wilds, which is a game we heard about all year. Untitled Goose Game, which just took over pop culture. Uh, the continued growth of a game like No Man's Sky. Um, a game like My Friend Pedro, which I feel like a few years ago would have probably just been swept a little bit under the rug. But we're seeing a renewed interest from Nintendo, understanding the power of indie studios. Uh, Microsoft, understanding the power of indie studios with Xbox at ID. I feel like Sony is a little bit uh, in third place when it comes to indie offerings, but you can see that they're um, now working on uh, understanding how important indie games are. So I think it was a great year for not only just indie games, but indie studios in general. When it comes to what we're talking about, experiences and great games throughout the year, I've been noticing that a lot of indie games in 2019 kind of rose to the surface because of how unique the offerings were that a- that they were able to put out into the industry. Uh, <clears throat> another 2019 trend that I noticed this year was cooperation. So we started off with Microsoft saying it was going to partner with Sony on new cloud- cloud-based solutions for gaming experiences. 
Um, Sony finally caved and understood the power of crossplay after the disaster that came with the whole Fortnite issue that they had. Um, now they finally added uh, Minecraft, so Minecraft players could play across uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, PC. Um, so Sony finally understood the power of crossplay. Um, we were talking about last week Mortal Kombat 11 adding crossplay. Call of Duty Modern Warfare went crossplay. This is something we're going to see going forward. Um, it was a crazy year for, for crossovers. Gamers can use an Xbox controller to play games on their iPhone. Soon they can use a DualShock 4 to play games on Project X Cloud. Just like I said, just a lot of cooperation going around. Um, Cuphead and Ori and the Blind Forest made their way to Nintendo Switch. MLB 2021 will be Sony published and multi-platform. So once again, just another indication that we're moving away from hardware. We're really moving towards software and a lot of these companies are really starting to understand that you know we can we can build faster we can do more when we work together so it's good to see that another 2019 trend was subscriptions we saw upc storefronts such as epic game store um, become really really big rockstar introduced their own launcher we had the launch of apple arcade uh, 10 hours a month they just recently introduced a 50 dollars a year subscription Sony cut the price of PlayStation now down to $10 a month. Um, they said that they have about 700,000 members. That was a few months ago. EA Access expanded to PC and PS4. As I said earlier, Uplay Plus finally launched. And then, of course, we had all the amazing things that Microsoft did with Xbox Game Pass. Um, another trend was finally the the death of the loot box. It felt like this sort of felt like this would never die out, but... It shows a couple things. Number one, the power of voting with your wallet. And number two, the power of, of influence. I really felt like this was the year that gamers really rallied against these cheap tactics um, that companies have begun that companies begun to use as a crutch for revenue. You know, forced EA to take a renewed stance after the vocal backlash that was to Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, and we saw that with Jedi Fallen Order. There really wasn't any DLC in that. Um, we saw Activision take a different focus with Call of Duty by removing the loot boxes, focusing on battle passes. And then, of course, we saw games such as Rocket League <clears throat> remove their loot box system and go with sort of a, a new blueprint system. Even though they, they did have a rough launch, the prices were too high. They did listen to feedback. They did cut the prices and refund um, the difference to people that already purchased things. So it just seems like a lot of these companies are really starting to understand how important this PR is from a PR standpoint to make sure that they're not really doing too much uh, when it comes to microtransactions and loot boxes. Um, I also felt like this was a good year for free-to-play, um, the introduction of Apex Legends, Destiny New Light going free-to-play. Um, it really shows that this is a legitimate avenue that companies can invest into. Um, I said it once, I said it again. It should have been something that EA invested in with Anthem. It should have been something that Bethesda invested in with Fallout 76. They would have definitely um, seen a renewed investment, um, excuse me, a renewed profit on that investment, whatever loss they would have taken at the beginning. Um, and then Fortnite, obviously. Fortnite was just huge this year, whether it was um, the deletion of the game and the introduction of Season 2 um, or the, the very recent Star Wars um, uh, Rise of Skywalker presentation that they did uh, last week. Uh, Fortnite, like I said, it it it, it just it, it has hit this this mass when it comes to uh, to pop culture, and it's just going to get stronger next year. But once again, Epic keeps um, 
kind of setting up this blueprint for every other company um, out there for this is how you successfully do a free-to-play. And honestly, what they're telling people is if you can't do what we're able to do, if you can't build this ecosystem we did in order to offer the same amount of content, constant content that we can, then don't even try it, honestly. That's really where it's coming to. Um, and then 2019, unfortunately, we did have a lot of uh, what I consider black eyes in, in the industry. Um, throughout the year in Cap Koji, we talked a lot about crunch, um, whether it was Bioware and Anthem. Telltale's co-founder admitted that crunch was necessary to keep the studio afloat for as long as possible. We had stories about Epic Games and crunch at Fortnite in order to keep it going, NetherRealm and Mortal Kombat. We also had a couple of stories about power-hungry leadership. Tyrone Rodriguez, the founder of Nacalis and his reported abuse. Uh, our story, I think it was two shows ago, raises CEO Min Liang Tang. Uh, the story about Riot Games' use of mandatory arbitration in cases of sexual harassment and discrimination. The first week of September where seven different women came forward with stories of abuse and sexual misconduct within the industry. And um, as many great things that happened in gaming in 2019, obviously these were the bad things, right? These were the the dark times. These were the times that I think as people who love this industry, we would love to forget. But because of the work of a lot of great journalists, especially the work that Kotaku did this year, um, I think it was very, very important for these things to come to light. We saw Riot Games um, come to an agreement where they were uh, paying $10 million to every woman affected by what they did. Fortunately, they still have a lot of work to do, um, but at least they're moving in the right direction. And, and I personally do believe that these types of stories, the stories that we heard about the seven women um, in the first week of September, the uh, Tyrone Rodriguez story, the Razor CEO story. I think these stories, we, we aren't seeing the influence, but I'm um, hopeful that these types of stories did reach the people that are in power within these different uh, developers and publishers, and hopefully it caused them to change their behaviors and, and reflect on um, uh, the mental abuse that employees can suffer when you're that type of power-hungry CEO. Um, and then we also saw the Activision Blizzard issue. Activision started off the year by laying off 8% of its workforce in the same call where Bobby Kotick told its shareholders that they once again achieved record results. In October, we had the Blitzchunk suspension. Um, and obviously, we know what happened with that. They were publicly, publicly criticized by U.S. Senators. Hashtag boycott Blizzard. Um, unfortunately, they responded with uh, a really bad apology, but as you can see, we're no longer talking about it, so I'm sure within Activision Blizzard, they feel like their apology absolutely worked. Um, and then we had the whole Pokemon uh, issue that happened this year with the Pokedex, but as you can see, because of sales, that didn't affect anything. Uh, biggest disappointments of the year. So I started thinking about what was the most disappointing thing that happened in gaming this year. Obviously, there was the release of Anthem, which was really disappointing. Um, a couple of people were saying Ghost Recon Breakpoint, WWE 2K20. But those were things that were kind of expected. I felt like dur during the development of those three titles, I looked at it, I was like, yeah, these are probably going to be very disappointing when it when when they finally actually do happen. Um, but hands down to me, the biggest disappointment of 2019 was nothing was none other than Google Stadia. There's just no other winner for this category. And the reason why it was the biggest disappointment, to me it was a big disappointment personally because 
I I was able to try Project Stream. I was able to try Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it worked and it felt good. And you have one of the biggest companies in the world entering into a an industry that they know nothing about, entering into a new market. You'd think that they would be a lot more careful when it comes to entering this market. And I think that's why, to me, it's the biggest disappointment. It's not the fact that I had a really bad uh, launch lineup. It's not all the glitches. It's not the lack of features at launch. It was more the lack of preparedness. And the one thing I've brought out throughout the year here on Camp Koji, which was just the lack of respect for the industry. The fact that they truly, truly felt that once we enter this, it's done. It's over. We got this. We're going to take over the market when it comes to streaming and just to see a company not be able to see past a hand in front of their face into what's coming within the next two or three years uh, within this industry you know to me just it just doesn't make any sense at all you know it's just there there are some things that you can attempt there shouldn't you shouldn't even make an attempt right like in my opinion microsoft should never even make an attempt with bing who the hell uses Bing, right? Like that's when it comes to Google, like you just you just can't mess with them at this time, right? Same thing with when Google tried what was it? What was their whole thing? Was it Google Plus? Was there Google their their whole uh response to Facebook, their whole the whole thing with trying to create a social media platform? You you just Facebook is too big. And I think there was room for Google Stadia within this industry, but they just did not go about it right. Just simple and plain. So without a doubt, the biggest disappointment of 2019 was none other than Google Stadia. And and that, that was it. Like I said, I think we had a really, really good 2019. We had a lot of negatives, I felt, that I personally felt were really, really important for me to talk about here on Camp Koji. As much as I love talking about the great things that the industry is doing, I think it's just as important for us to talk about um, the things that are hidden within this industry, the things that us as gamers that enjoy these video games don't see every day, the things that we don't think about. You know, we don't think about um, the fact that people are working 60 to 100 hours a week in order to deliver these games that we love so much. And I think that's why it bothers me so much when I hear a game come out and someone just instantly just shit on it. Um, because it just it sucks. It sucks to know that a team worked four or five years on a game and then for you to get in your hands and just completely just um, uh, dismiss it and insult it and just not even consider the, the, the effect that that has had on so many people. And I think it's great that we, we, we're hearing more. We heard a lot of stories about Crunch. Hopefully that influences changes next year or uh, changes in terms of the push towards uh, unionizing for the video game industry. I felt like it was really important to talk about those in 2019 and going forward into uh, 2020. Hopefully we still see a lot of great work from journalists such as Jason Schreier and Cecilia D'Anastasio um, when it comes to bringing these things to light. Uh, but as I said, I, th- I think we had an amazing year for video games in 2019. Um, I'm very much looking forward into to 2020. Uh, now time to wrap it up. Not much to go on here. 
Um, these are the stores where I didn't have time to get to. Puma has created active gaming footwear. Um, and th- let's be honest, this is just a thick $100 sock. <laughs> this is not a sneaker. This is not a shoe. Uh, it feels like companies now, once again, as I said, as gaming is in- being introduced more and more into pop culture, um, it's being taken se- more seriously now than it ever has been before. We're going to start seeing things like these, that, like this. Companies think that they can come in and trick people into uh, to buying quote-unquote gaming footwear for an industry and an activity where you mostly just sit down. Just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Ninja also unveiled his sneakers that were created in partnership with Adidas, retailing for $150. These sneakers are absolutely disgusting. Uh, there's just no way I would spend $150, not even $50 on these sneakers. Now, a couple things about this. Number one, they're ugly. But number two, they're not ugly for kids. It really felt like the sneakers were made for the Fortnite crowd, which is something that I kind of forgot when I first saw the sneakers, which is the sneaker is not for me. It's not marketed to people like me. It's not marketed to people in their 20s and their 30s. It's marketed to the teenagers. And for a teenager shoe, very colorful, very big letters, bright yellow colors, ninja, time in. I think that um, uh, that's where it's marketed to. But then again, it's also 150 bucks. So it just seems like Adidas doesn't really know what they're going for when it comes to the sneaker. But it doesn't take away from the accomplishment. Uh, big shout out to Ninja for making this happen. I think it's amazing to see the fact that a gamer within our industry has their own sneaker. I think that's, that's awesome. Uh, Mixer and Facebook are growing. Mixer saw a 149% year-over-year growth in hours watched in 2019. Facebook gaming saw a 210% growth year-over-year. Twitch actually saw a 2% drop in all streaming viewership, viewership, bringing them down to um, a paltry 73%. So obviously Twitch still has a lot of the market when it comes to streaming. And we saw Mixer and Facebook make very, very tiny dents into Twitch's viewership. I think streaming is just going to continue to grow next year. It's something that we'll talk about on next week's show. But it's good to see Mixer and Facebook, the things that they're doing. Are actually affecting change for them. Uh, Borderlands 3 finally came to Stadia, but it's a version from October 24th and will not be updated until early 2020. So once again, just continuing the disappointment that is Google Stadia. Uh, something like this just doesn't make sense. If I'm a consumer and, I'm a, and I purchase Google Stadia, Borderlands 3 is probably one of the games I was waiting for. So the fact that I'm purchasing the game in December, but I'm getting a version from October and to know that people that are on consoles and PCs have access to features and modes that I won't have access to until sometime in 2020. Um, we can probably guess that this probably is not going to happen in January. I think that will probably be at the earliest February 2020. We'll see that update just because of the, the wind down that a lot of companies go into um, from December to January. Who knows if anyone will be even working on something like this. But Stadia was um, marketed and sold as a... Uh, platform that needs no update no time for updates and things like this so this doesn't really make any sense and stadia has been very mum on exactly why this happened they're not really divulging the reasoning as to why this is the way that it is but just another reason not to really think about stadia uh and that's our show for the for for the day like i said we had we had a, a great 2019 not for the day for the week great show of the week um shout out to i dom which is who was a new york city queens native i dom took home the capcom cup last week by resetting the bracket and defeating punk so shout out to fellow new yorker i dom unsponsored went all the way to capcom cup 
Um, so pretty amazing to see that he was able to take it. Thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week for our final show of the year. Take it easy.